Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 20. And today we have a very special episode. We are talking to the Pedagogy and Folk Song Analysis Colorado Kodai Institute teachers this summer at Colorado State University. We have some questions that some folks have submitted via Instagram and Facebook that we'll be answering today with Amy Abbott and Amanda Isaac. And of course, Tanya and I will pipe in as well. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. main theme, we are doing a question-answer session here from Colorado State University, where we are in the midst of the Colorado Kodai Institute Levels Program, and we have some special guests with us today. Yay, for special guests. So we're each going to introduce ourselves briefly, where we are currently teaching and where we have our Kodai Levels training from. So we'll let Tanya go first. Okay. Um, I'm Tanya. I'm teaching Level 1 Pedagogy and Folk Song Analysis here at the Colorado Kodai Institute. And where did you do your levels? Oh, where did I do my levels? At CSU. I right mean, here. here. Right here. Right here. And with who? Can you say with who? Um, with yeah. whom? With whom? <laughs> yes, my Level 1 teacher was Joe Kirk, and my Level 2 teacher was Linda Halsey, and my Level 3 teacher uh, was Liz Arcaro. And um, I had a fantastic experience, and I just love being here as an instructor now. Yay. Yay. And I'm Amy Abbott, and I teach Level 2 Folk Song and Pedagogy. And I did my levels at Portland State with Susan Brumfield and Jill Trinka and Carol Brown. And then when I did my master's here at CSU, I retook Level 2 with Sue Bocock and Level 3 with Ann Eisen. Awesome. I'm Amanda Isaac, and I teach Level 3 Folk Song and Pedagogy. I did my training with uh, Gemma Arguelles at Holy Names University for level one, and then I uh, apprenticed with uh, Susan Tevis for two years, and did level two with Ann Eisen, and level three with Lamar Robertson and McNeese. Awesome. And I'm Carrie, and I did my levels here at CSU as well. I did my level one with Jill Kirk, and my level two with Sue Bocock, and my level three with Ann Eisen. And this summer, I'm just here helping out, grading helping do some stuff. Doing some invaluable stuff. Doing some organizing and such. And it's been great because it's been my first time on the opposite side of the experience. And I'm learning just as well. I can't well say just as much, but I'm learning quite a bit on the other side as well. Can so I add? Fun. Please do it. Um, Carrie's definitely been an Kodai expert to my oh. twos, and she's brought a lot of expertise to them, which has been very much and appreciated. There's, we have, there's a lot of level two students this year. There's 20. There's 20 of them, yes. And yeah. So, so it's a lot of grading, but it's fun because I'm <laughs> geeky like that. So we have some questions that folks have submitted via Instagram and our Facebook page, and we might not get to all of them. Um, so some of you, we might be taking your question and devoting a whole episode to. Yeah, there were, were so some big. very meaty questions that, yeah. that really we could dedicate like a whole right. show plus. So we to. just tried to pick some kind of quick fire questions. So I, I'm going to ask the questions and let our levels teachers answer and I'll chime in once in a Please, while as well. Yeah. So our first question came on Instagram from Lore88, if that's how you would pronounce that. And her question is, what else is involved in the Kodai methodology philosophy besides singing folk songs, doing solfa? Um, so 
Tanya, as oh. level one teacher, I'm sure you have to do give this spiel every year, kind of what is Kodai? Well, it's interesting because a lot of the level one teachers, uh, students, teachers that come in and do their level one, they actually um, know a lot before they get here and they are coming because they have this desire to study the Kodai philosophy. And I think that anybody in ORF or Delcros would say the same thing, that it's not the tools that define the methodology mm -hmm. or the philosophy, but that the ideas and the strategies and the teaching methods behind it. Um, please feel free to chime in. Yeah. Right? And yeah, that's such a huge thing. Uh, doing hand signs does not make one a Kodai teacher, right? Just like um, improvisation with instruments uh, does not make one a ORF teacher. Or using ORF instruments. Or using ORF instruments. Does not make an ORF teacher. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Using the best materials with the best methods and realizing that only the best is good enough is our founding core principle that we want to take into our classrooms and into our practices, and that music is for all. I stole mine. <laughs> Sorry, oh, that's okay. You can elaborate, Amy. What does music for all mean? It just means that it, it it's encompassing for for everyone in your classroom, be it the special learners or the gifted or your, your students that are second language learners mm -hmm. or students that are English language learners or and including the teacher, that it's music for all. Yeah, and Kodai said it is a birthright of every citizen to be musically literate. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about the mother tongue, and that I know is a question that's going to come up, but we have to know that, uh, remember that in the 21st century, what we consider the mother tongue, like the folk music of a certain culture or society, is going to look very mixed up because we now with everything that's going on and it's such a much smaller world and we're so much more connected and our communities are made up of so many different people that uh, what used to be back in the early 1900s like in Hungary they had Hungarian folk music it was it was pretty homogenous mm -hmm. and now we've got such a wonderful vast world of folk music that we can include in our classroom and we can really make sure that that students are feeling like they are a, not just a, consu a consumer of music, but can participate and can enjoy it, and it can be part of their lives. Music for everyone, not just someone who wants to slap down money to go see the opera or Britney Spears concert, but right. like fully participate in it. Well, and the beauty is when you take your Kodai levels, you're creating this folk song collection that you can take with you to wherever you decide to teach. But you're also mindful of your current teaching situation while you're creating your collection. And if you teach in an environment where you have a lot of Hispanic students, then you might start collecting more Hispanic folks, folk songs so you can tailor your musical experiences more towards towards them and what their musical mother tongue is. Yep. So we, we in the Kodai world do not expect everyone's folk song analysis binders to look exactly the same because every teaching situation is different and we, we want you to be able to look at the students you have in front of you and be able to create something that's meaningful yeah. for them. But I, I think I got us off track with the mother tongue. Business. That's okay. That was Somebody had asked that question. I'm sorry I don't have your name in front of me, but somebody asked about the musical mother tongue, so I'm glad that Well, you and that comes up, especially that. in level one every year, because when students do some reading out of the Kodai Context, which is a excellent book by Lois Choksi, and I think it's out of print. Is it out of print? I think so. Yeah. Um, and, there, and she has written other books as well. 
uh, a lot of students will comment and say, well, I don't agree with this whole mother tongue idea. And we just have to put things in the context of remembering when Zoltan Kodai was coming up with a 100-year plan for Hungarian students to be really, truly musically literate, the world was a much different place, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's just an important thing to remember. We can go on and on, and we should yeah. move on to something. Well, let's span on that differently. Yes. Um, well, so a sub-question of this first question, I think another important aspect of the Kodai philosophy, methodology, whatever terminology you want to use there, is the idea of the spiraling sequence, is that mm -hmm. Kodai firmly believed, and, and we who have followed this believe that best practice is that children need to learn in a spiral sequence where they're building upon the knowledge that they already know, they're circling back to it while also learning new knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, a question that Camilla from Boulder asked us is, in, in Kodai, there's, there's traditionally three phases, but we've expanded it to four, prepare, present, practice, and then assess. Am I correct, ladies? Is correct. there another yep. one that yes. you wanna? So um, Camilla was asking, when it comes to the presentation phase, when you present new knowledge to a student, how long is that phase? I'm gonna let Amy start. <laughs> That's because the level twos have been asked about this exactly. a lot. So there are three phases and the preparation stage is pretty much the most important because you're laying the foundation for understanding what the critical attributes of a certain melodic rhythmic element are. And so during that presentation phase, you start early and you're doing a lot of playing and subconscious awareness of the elements. And then as you're narrowing your focus towards specifically that rhythmic or melodic element, you're keen in on what are those critical attributes of that element in comparison to other elements that they know. So if you're working on law, you would be comparing this new note law to their known pitches of so me. Mm -hmm. And so you'd be comparing the fact that law is a note that's higher than so. And there's a whole sequence, that's a, when you were talking about the Kodai, um, and besides solfa, the sequencing is amazing. The sequencing really helps you. Mm -hmm. So if you, the, you, you teach through comparatives, you're always comparing the new element that they're learning to the known elements. And so law in comparison to so is a step higher. And so then you do that through aural and physical and kinesthetic prep and visual prep. And so once you get to that present phase, they should be almost best friends with law. They should know law so well that they're tired of telling you that it's a, no, a step higher than so. Mm -hmm. They should be tired of the fact that when you get to that presentation lesson, you go through reviewing it and then you say, this is law, here's its placement on the staff, here's its hand sign, and then anything you do after that is immediate practice. Yeah. So really, technically, a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes. Maybe. I it said depends. a nanosecond, yes. but that's sometimes confusing because <laughs> a nanosecond not, not really, really mean. But in the grand scheme of your lifetime with law, yeah. If the presentation lesson's in If it's taking you a whole lesson, then you're not really presenting. you got to right. back up the trade and yeah, know that you're still in preparation. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is based on readiness skills. And I was telling level ones just yesterday, I said, by the, when you present something, you expect them, the students to go, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, we know. And that means that you've done the groundwork that you need to do, right? The proper groundwork. The and proper the beauty of it is, is that we don't want to say it's grade level specific. I mean, if you Absolutely if you're teaching, not. you know, mm -hmm. in a traditional K through five elementary school, you know, there's kind of some benchmarks you'll you'll generally hit along the same way. But like there are some years where my students aren't ready for law because it just took them an extra long time to really grasp so and me. You know, sometimes you have students who are more ready than others. So some years I get to law in first grade and some years I decide they're not quite ready, I'm gonna bump it to second. Right. So it's tailor-made again to your students. Yeah, it is a definite process, 
but it really is dependent on so many things on how long um, it takes to present a specific element and not the least of which is that specific element mm -hmm. and we've been talking about how melodic concepts they're more challenging for for, for everybody mm -hmm. than the rhythmic concepts you're going to spend more time but when someone asks like okay how many lessons are happening for this I, I can't tell you exactly all right next question from camellia too why do we emphasize folk music in the Kodai world. Because it's awesome. I'm going to let Amanda take this one. <laughs> it is the easiest entry point yeah. for students. And it is what will engage them the most and the quickest. We want them to be fully engaged. And folk music is just the way we, we can... Sorry for that pause. I That's think, okay. I think long long time they have a great they have a great time because all of a sudden we are giving back to them what has been lost through time and what has been lost but in some ways recovered through technology and through our changing world from a hundred years ago they we don't sing and play and dance the way that we used to because our world has changed but to give them back to the children through this wonderful lens and this, through this wonderful methodology, they just jump on it and they run with it because all it's innate and it's natural because it came from them from that uh, developmental stage. Yeah, and I think it's also important that you define what folk music is. That folk music is a, is a genre of music that at some point in his life was consumed and embraced by a, a, by a folk of people and has been passed on orally from tradition to tradition. And there's a reason why it's been passed on, because it has a life. And we talk a lot in level two about the fact that, that in order to really embrace folk music, you have to really listen to it in its original context of field recordings. Mm -hmm. Because if, once you've seen the textbook of edition of a song, my level twos will say this, they said it today, that is way different than listening to the life that a folk mm -hmm. singer brings into it and mm -hmm. being able to embrace that life and the music that you hear in field recordings and taking it to your children is the really extremely important. And one thing that we're really thankful for is that Kodai was really a rebel in his time because he was suggesting, you know, and elevating this idea of folk music, the music of the people is something that we really should be valuing and teaching, and it's not um, a music to be dismissed. Whereas in his, his time, there was an idea of only the classical, only there was only one music that we should be aspiring to. And this idea of like the common people's music is something to be cherished and played and sung and you know taught. Yeah. All right, moving on. We had a question from Andy Pants 5 What a fun name. <laughs> um, she would like to know, I think it's she, about um, our favorite books. And I'm not sure if she's referring to like pedagogy books or, or song collections or picture books. So oh. maybe we'll each just pick one. It can be any of those categories. What's like one book that you couldn't live without in your oh, classroom? A lot. Um, I know, but if you had to pick one. Well, uh, my all of my threes will know that I say an American methodology. I knew you were going to say that. I was. Well, <laughs> I studied with Anne and Lamar. Yes, so, I yeah. And it's just an amazing reference and starting point to go through because it's very explicit about all of the different steps that you can 
that you can do and you can work through. And so when you get stuck instructionally, you can refer back and realize, oh, well, I haven't tried that, or, oh, I could try that instead. So that that's one that uh, it, it's a must-have, in my opinion. Yeah. Amy? For me, it's the Trinka volumes. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the Trinka volumes, if you have not seen them through a Kodai lens, can be daunting yes. because they're in stick notation, mm-hmm. sofa, which you really have to be able to understand. And the thing that's beautiful about them is that you can transpose them into any, or you don't transpose them, you sing them in any key because they are stick sofa. Mm-hmm. And, and they come with recordings. They come with so recordings. Dr. Jill Trinka, just to make sure, for um, has four volumes of folk songs and recordings mm-hmm. with them. And she does an awesome job of being really stylistically like right on the money. She has really done her research, and um, it's just a joy. And her the tone quality is just, yeah. I mean, she's an authentic folk singer. Yeah. And, and recordings are lovely. They're and lovely. if you have children, you have my, your own. Yeah, my kids so heard those. Oh, well, and John Robin used her to sing all of her, his songs on the first steps. Yeah. So some of you yeah. might be familiar with her. And those that. picture book recordings, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't exactly. she sing? All right, Tanya, I'll um, let you so, go next. You guys, you took the... Oh, well, <laughs> there's so many. Um, I'm going to give a little shout-out to the Rita Klinger planning, lesson planning book. Yes. Ah, because yeah. yes. it is like, it's short and sweet, man, and it's just really nice, clean pedagogy, and she just gets to the point. There, it's just, it's chock-full of wisdom, and I think I don't even know the, the correct title. I just call it the Rita Klinger Lesson Plan book. What is the real title? I think that's what it's called. I think it's called Lesson Planning. Lesson Planning it's in a Code I setting. Through, oh, correct. Yeah, it is available through OAKE. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really covers well lesson plan segments, transitions, the PPP model. Um, it's just a really handy book. And mm-hmm. we are really lucky that it's back in publication because for many years there, it was not. And there were people who were like, well, you know, I have a, a first edition, and I'm holding on to it, but now we've got that, and you can get that. I have the that. first edition. Oh, I know. of course you do. <laughs> you can fangirl now. <laughs> and, of course, we'll put links to all of these oh, in yes. the show notes. Oh, yes, we will put all of these. Um, I'm, well, I will ditto yeah, what, what everyone that? has said so far. Um, mine's going to go a little outside the, the Kodai bubble, but I'll just say anything by the Amadons. Yes. Peter oh, and yes. Otherwise known as the New England you know, dancing masters. masters. So yeah. Chimes yes. of Dunkirk, Sashay the Donut, uh, listen to the Mockingbird. So, what's your favorite starter of theirs? Starter, like like what dance? Because a lot like of people do? I see. Well, no, I, as far as like which book, and same oh. with Trinka. So when people say which Amadon book, I usually say Chimes of Dunkirk is a really good mm-hmm. one to start I think with. that I do tend to open that one more, but listen to the Mockingbird is probably a close second. Yes. And I will also put on. I know I'm cheating because I'm saying more than one, but their their kindergarten, well, you know, early childhood publication is called I'm, I'm Growing, growing up. up, and I that, that has a really great. Um, um, wealth of resources of songs that are a little out of the normal, especially for anyone who's already done Kodai levels and you're looking for some new Especially for kindergarten and even preschool. Yes. That's awesome. Some really fun, beautiful songs. So anything by them. All right. Brooke May has asked us on Facebook, what kind of things would one need to do before levels to prepare? She's planning on doing levels next summer, I believe. We hope you will, Brooke. But what kind of things do you think someone should go into level one knowing or doing or having done well if you have a chapter a kodai chapter around you should definitely attend some workshops so you can get a taste for things 
Yes, and if you go to the OAKE, that's the Organization of American Kodai Educators website, you can look for a local chapter near you mm -hmm. and definitely reach out to your local chapter. Even if you live a couple hours away, many chapters offer programs where people can stay with a member overnight, so you yeah. don't have to worry about getting up at 4.30 in the morning to get to a workshop, mm -hmm. so definitely reach out. But Amy, I know you had some like specific... Oh, I, I think it's great to teach you before you take levels, so you kind of have a baseline of of experience working with children in a musical setting mm -hmm. and making sure you have um, your obviously make sure you have your undergrad I know some people take their levels while during undergrad and I think sometimes that goes to overload yeah and you can't put it into play right away you can't put it into practice right away and it's like you know anything if you don't use it you lose it yeah. and I think it's important to be able to immediately take what you turn learn using level learn in level one and use it in your classroom and really just focusing then that following your after levels sorry this is extension of implementing it just in the, the kindergarten and first grade classrooms. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's uh, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's very daunting mm -hmm. to try very to, daunting. to try to incorporate everything and you just piecemeal it, take mm -hmm. little by little. And if oh, you I have another one, oh, go ahead. I have another one. Another thing you should do before levels is make sure you have a good support system in place. Yeah. That if you have children, know that th during those two weeks you will not be seeing your your children that much. Yeah. And so, so as far as the specifics about actually being in your two weeks of Kodai, and I think ready. anybody would say this, that dedicate that entire two mm -hmm. weeks. Do not plan to work if you have a yeah. an extra job. Don't plan to do anything. If you have a family for, reunion, no, forget no, about right. it. Uh -huh. um, if you were thinking that oh, this would be a great time for me to, I don't know, start a new diet or no. exercise program or I don't you know. No, you've got to live the levels for yeah. two weeks. And it's you, intense, but well worth it. You should it. live in the town or you should be in the town where you're taking levels because yes. if you even have a half an hour drive um, to where you're, well, a half an hour is probably doable. But I did an hour each way to Portland oh, State, which was much more doable than I did when I was Colorado State because when I was in Portland State, my mom was taking levels with me. So she would practice, we would practice in the car together because I had somebody I was driving, we could practice yeah. things together. She could hold the she, well, no, or, <laughs> or she would sing specific things and I'd have to, you know, Arlen notate, yeah. you know, what she was singing. Yeah. So. And, and like you said about the support system, like this was uh, when I did my levels, my husband and I, we were not married yet, but he was my support system and like, I came home during at the weekend, and he made dinner, and he was really caring and understanding, and he knew that I wasn't going to be really available, and I just kind of holed up and worked on stuff over the weekend, and um, you have to have understanding people, and oh my gosh, I don't know how I would have been able to do it with children. I did my levels before children, and um, you just, yeah. that's, that's a hard thing. But expect to come out on the other end with an amazing cohort of, of teachers that that have been through this level with you that are oh, now, yeah. like, some of your, they turn to your best friends. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. They're sitting right here with you. I know, I was going to say. <laughs> but we've adopted Amanda. She <laughs> Well, I was part of this contingency. Uh, McNeese is in Louisiana, and there was this little contingency of the California girls I teach, and I am from California, and we all went to levels together. And all, I, only one uh, other California girl was in my level, but all of us were together, and so we would go and uh, really dedicate, my, my program was three weeks, so we would dedicate those three weeks. And my last year, I was trying to also plan for my wedding while I was doing levels, and oh. that was not a good idea. She did not heed our advice. I did not. I did not, <laughs> not have this wisdom beforehand. <laughs> so yes, clear your life yeah. and just black it out and have that time, and you will 
it is very much worth the investment of your time oh, and yeah. money. It's life-changing. I think the other thing is be open-minded. Like if you have ORF levels or Dalcos levels, um, acknowledge that those are important, but be prepared, prepared to live with it in this methodology for a little bit to really understand it. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to integrate the two of them, you're going to be on overload. As our Delcro's uh, friend Fritz would say, play in our sandbox. Play in the Kodai sandbox. Mm-hmm. I said that to my level two. Yeah. Yeah. All right, a couple more quick-fire questions, if we can. So Katie Casey on uh, Facebook asked about student choice in the Kodai classroom. Um, this is a big topic, but maybe we can just give a couple of like quick-fire, what's one way that you allow for student choice in your classroom? So I'll go first, because I, I had an idea right away. I mean, innately, composition and improvisation is student choice. Mm-hmm. And I think this question probably comes from the lens of when your principal is coming to you or you have an observation and they talk about student choice, you know, we're not allowing our children to choose what songs they're singing the same way a classroom teacher allows kids to choose what book they're reading. So putting it into a context for a principal that when my children are improvising or composing, they are creating something that is their own, and that is student choice. Mm-hmm. Amanda? What do you think? I, I concur. I can just, with extension from that, whenever you're doing uh, a, a flashcard reading exercise and you have uh, a, a blank one that students can choose to read or they can choose to improvise. Yeah. And that gives them uh, some choice and some framework to be successful. Sure. Can I just say ditto? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, all of those are... Are excellent, of course. I like to try to pepper throughout my lesson chances for kids to pair and share, to interact, and to discuss what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I know this is driven by that whole Marzano, the essential questions and thing, which I admit I have fought a little bit, but I'm really trying to use it to my advantage in my classroom so that kids really have time to process with someone else, to talk to through things. And I think that lets them have some choice about you know, what, how they're interpreting things and how they're feeling. And then um, another thing that I think is really good for student choice is when you have days there where they have centers or stations mm-hmm. because they have a lot of um, individual time or small group time where they are at a place where maybe they are doing a composition or they are putting something else together musically. They have some individual practice time and that satisfies a lot of their need to have some student voice and choice in there. Sure. Yeah, I just think it's a lot of times it's just reinterpreting what that means for our context. Mm-hmm. All right, last question, very quick, from Brooke May again. What is one manipulative that you just couldn't live without in your classroom? Kind of like the book question. I love puppets. Sorry. Amy <laughs> loves puppets. You just had to take the puppets. Amy did like, a special topics presentation I did. on puppets. I have like seven huge bins full of puppets. Yeah. Yes. I have one dedicated just to my puppets. And very quickly, like what's one way that you use your puppets for? A lot for solo singing. Yeah. A lot for getting those apprehensive singers to sing because once they have a puppet in their hand, it's no longer them singing. Mm-hmm. It's the puppet singing. So mm-hmm. a lot of times those kids that don't want to perform, the students that don't want to sing by themselves you give them a chance to have a puppet and the puppet sings and it's off them yeah yeah. Amanda what would you say oh well uh, a lot of my work is actually in the choral realm Mm -hmm. and um, a a favorite 
a manipulative that I use in that is actually just a, a short piece of elastic band. Mm -hmm. And so you can pull it for phrasing and especially not snapping it back so that they understand it's the full thing. And so oh, even when you're yeah. having a decrescendo or whatever it is, there is still uh, energy that happens and mm -hmm. it's not just wow. on and off. It's and it's great. controlled. And it's controlled. Mm -hmm. Cheap and cheerful too. Yes, we That's, like that. I love those kinds. Oh Tanya, what do you think? Well, I, I was thinking of, well, there's one I was thinking of that makes me sound so stodgy and boring. Hmm. Say it anyways. Okay, I'll say it anyway, and then I'll mention <laughs> I love the fun it. one. So say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, I, ha I love my beat strips. Yeah. I love, um, I have, you know, classroom set of beat strips that I created that has four beats, heartbeats on one side and three on the other. And the reason I love it so much is because the, they're, boy, when I started teaching in the Kodai way, I just really... Um, grew to see how well the kids understand when they can have something visual and they can tap on those as the steady bead. They can do improvisation and track and it's a physical thing and a visual thing. And um, well, there's I, so I many just, things you can do with them besides just tracking beat. Oh, you can, definitely. You yeah. can use manipulatives to, to put how many sounds are on a right. beat. Right. You can put things on them to or represent the sounds. Or they can the write sounds. the mini erasers. Yeah. Of, the mini erasers. Yep. Mm -hmm. Going to Target and getting that stuff. But so, you know, I know that's very like Kodai, Boarsville of me. But um, you that's, just use that's them. That's a good thing. That, that's big bang for but your buck. Yeah, it's, it's tried and true, and there's yeah. a reason why it's lasted and kids yeah. are engaged. And I don't think it. I a week goes by when I don't have those. Exactly, out. they pretty much just live. Those live out in, in my the room. room. Yeah. But to be a little more exciting, because I've been using this recently, is I love my Hoberman spear. Oh, those are so fun. And yes. um, I primarily use it first for loud and soft. So we'll put a link to that. And it's um, I'm sure you've seen this geometric um, sphere that gets huge and it gets small, but Oh wow, you can really go to town with not just loud and soft and different dynamics. Every level, if if you were teaching high school, college, absolutely, you know, middle school, breath, control. Or breath yeah. control. You can use it for phrasing. Mm -hmm. You can use it for um, so many things. Yeah, yeah. And my son likes to make it really big and climb into it and try to roll around. Wow, you have a big Hoverman spirit. It, it, it is. I have like a mini one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I will just say scarves. Scarves. I know that's that's scarves can be used in all sorts of methodologies. Yeah. Especially and you should wash your scarves. Um, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I should wash my scarves. Yeah, beginning of the year, wash those scarves, people. No, wonderful for vocal exploration, showing different melodic lines, and then phrasing. just you know, mm -hmm. and phrasing. Thank you, and then just movement activities, kind of like what Amy said about puppets. I find and the they're exciting. It's simple, but they're so exciting. Yeah, and mm. they're great to use during programs to add visual elements. So a good hearty set of scarves. It's well worth it. That are well washed. Well, thank you for all of these <laughs> questions, everybody. We hope that we answered them well. And like I said, if you had questions that we didn't answer, we might just devote a whole episode to it. So stay yeah. tuned. Exciting. Thank you, Amanda and Amy, for joining us. Thank yes. you. Thank you. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at Teaching Music, Tanya's Kodai Aspiring Blog. Please feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next few episodes, we'll be doing a series all about getting ready for the next school year. Oh, yes. And so until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.